Okay, so this morning I have the privilege of speaking to you about freedom. So over the past couple of weeks, this this series that we've been looking at, we've been talking about one anothering and how we can build relationships um, with one another. And previously we focused on the vision of the church to love one another, grow one another, serve one another. And now we're focusing on our values. So last week Paul preached about having passion for one another. And this morning I'm preaching about freedom for one another. So if I asked you, are you free? Your initial response, without giving it much thought, might be yes. I am free. Of course, I'm free. The society that we live in, this, this country that we live in, you know, we have the freedom to go where we would like to go. Um, we can go and visit wherever we'd like to visit. There are some people who are using that freedom right now, off on their holidays, visiting different countries. Um, And we have that freedom to go where we want to go. We also have the right to uh, freedom of speech, freedom to think what we want to think, freedom to express ourselves how we'd like to be expressed. But this morning, I'm not talking about physical freedom. I'm not talking about freedom of speech. But this morning, I'm talking about spiritual freedom. So just to give a bit of background to that, a bit of a definition to the word freedom means a condition of being able or allowed to live however you want without control or limit. Freedom means the absence of constraint and freedom means unrestricted access. So when I'm talking about freedom this morning... When I'm talking about spiritual freedom, I'm talking about having unrestricted access to God. Because freedom is a gift. Freedom is available for all of us. And freedom is a gift from God to each and every one of us. It is a free gift. Sometimes it can feel like we have to earn our freedom, but it is not. It's a completely free gift. Now, a couple of months ago, I think it was back in, in April time, um, as the youth team, so I, I kind of head up the youth with my husband, Rob, we decided it would be good to have a social, and we decided it would be good to go and trial an escape room. So, I don't know if any of you have done an escape room before. Uh, this was the first time that I did one. We went down to Newcastle, and... Um, we, we went through this escape room process. We split into two groups. We had a guy's group and a girl's group. And we took on this escape room together. And we walked in and there were puzzles on the wall. There were like jigsaw things. There were challenges. There were clues. And it took us, it must have taken us a good 10, 15 minutes to actually work out what the first thing we were supposed to do was. Um, and we took on these challenges and we, you know, for the most part did okay. We had to ask for help a couple of times. Um, and we finally worked our way through all of these challenges. And we got to the final one or where we had to kind of put all these levers in the correct position. And when we got that right, the door would open. And we were there waiting to do it. And we got it right, finally. And we pushed on the door only to find another room full of challenges. We thought we were there. We thought we had our freedom. We were ready and celebrating. But we were very quickly traumatized by the fact that we had more challenges ahead of us. So we actually didn't make it out. Um, It's only 
by the mercy of the people who run the escape rooms at Newcastle that I'm here today, otherwise I still could have been stuck in that escape room. But it's okay because the boys didn't make it out either. So, you know, even Stevens, no arguments. That's what we like. But people pay to go through that experience. They pay to go through that challenge of having to earn their freedom. They pay to kind of take on the challenge. Am I good enough? Am I uh, intelligent enough? Have I got, um, you know, the right skills to be able to earn my freedom? And I think sometimes that's what we can think it's like with God. We think we have to have the right skills or we have to be um, the right type of person. We have to be a good person. We have to face the challenges that God sets us um, and respond in the right way in order to earn our freedom. But that is not the case. Freedom is a free gift and it is available for all of us this morning. So... I'm going to talk a bit about what freedom is today. And when I was thinking about freedom, I think what I want to say all hinges on two questions. The first question is, what are you free from? What are you free from? And I'm not talking about that aisle of the supermarket that is free from free from dairy, free from uh, everything good in the world. Um, But I'm talking about what is it that we no longer have to live with because of our faith in Jesus? What is it that as Christians we have freedom from? There are many things, and some things might instantly jump to mind. We might have be able to think of battles that we've gone through or struggles that we've faced or testimonies we've had of things that we've struggled with in our life, but we've overcome it. I think for most of us, though, we'll still be in the middle of some of those struggles. But just to name a few things that we have freedom from in Christ, we have freedom from fear, we have freedom from sin, and I'm going to talk a bit about that later on. We have freedom from hopelessness and emptiness. We've got freedom from shame and guilt. So what are you free from this morning? It is so important to know what we're free from because if we don't, we'll never break away from it and we'll just continue living in it. So what are you free from? And my second question is what are you free for? Why, why have we got our freedom? What are we free for? What are we supposed to do with this freedom? Like I said, freedom is a gift, but it's also a responsibility. And it's kind of poignant. I remember this, this time of year, um, almost September time, is when we have the new freshers coming to start with us at uni. And it takes me back to eight years ago uh, when I was a fresher myself. I'm getting dropped off at Keele Uni and I remember packing my little yellow punto right up to the rafters uh, with all of my bedding and everything that I thought was completely necessary for surviving on my own. And uh, mum was in the passenger seat and actually I was carrying my little cacti for me because they were the most precious things that I didn't want to get crushed. And she helped me set in and we moved in and put all my stuff in our halls at Keele. And then she waved me goodbye and off she went. And I had this sense of freedom this sense that actually I, I can do what I want to do. I don't have to let anyone else know. I can go where I want to go. I 
didn't have much money, but I could spend it on what I wanted to spend it on. And I could, I could do exactly what I wanted to do. And that lasted for maybe a day or two <laughs> before reality starts to hit home that actually with that freedom comes responsibility. When the dishes start piling high in the sink, when the washing basket gets full and actually I run out of clothes, I realise that I need to start doing things and looking after myself. When I realise that actually I can't just spend my money on what I want to spend my money on because then I won't be able to eat. So in order to keep myself healthy and in order to keep myself alive, I actually had to put some restrictions in place so that my freedom would serve me and I would um, be able to be responsible with the freedom that I had. And I think that's the same with God. You know, he gives us our freedom. He gives us free will. We can do what we like. We can go where we like. We can say what we like. But he also gives us some boundaries and he gives us some instructions. He gives us the Bible full of advice and full of instructions about how to live a good life, about how to make right decisions, about how to make the right choices. So although he gives us our freedom, he also gives us boundaries as well. And I think that when we, when we choose, even with our free will, even with the ability to make our own decisions and go where we want to go and do what we want to do, when we choose to actually apply those boundaries, when we choose to actually adhere to the things that God says and to actually put his um, instructions into practice, that's when we find freedom, that's when we find healthy lives, and that's when we find the freedom that God has for us. So my question this morning is, what are you free for? How does, the, how does your life reflect the freedom that you have been given? So all that I'm going to say this morning is around these two questions. What are you free from and what are you free for? And as I've been looking at freedom, I've noticed that throughout the Bible, throughout the, the scriptures, there are um, these instances where God tells us what we're free from and in exchange tells us what we are free for. And that's what I want to have a look at this morning. I've picked just a couple out. So my first one is this. We are free from death for life. Free from death for life. And I suppose in its simplest form here, I'm, I'm talking about the salvation. As Christians, as people who believe in God and believe in Jesus, we are free from the power of death, and in its place, we get eternal life. We read um, in the Bible that God loved us so much, but actually we messed up. <laughs> um, humankind, as a, a race, we, we started sinning. We weren't able to live that pure, holy life um, that God intended us to live, and we uh, messed up with our lives. So in order to make things right, God sent Jesus to pay for our sins once and for all, so that we wouldn't have to live with the consequences of sin, but instead we would get to live with eternal life with God. Romans 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in exchange for our sin... And in exchange for our messy lives, God gives us eternal life. Life 
forever with God. And for me, that kind of kind of sideswipes the power of death in our life to know that we actually have eternal life. We have the gift of eternal life. That's not to underplay or not to undermine that actually death can be a very, for, for the, if we have people around us who pass away, that can be a very painful process. The process of grief can be really difficult, but actually we have the comfort of knowing that as believers, death is not the end. Death is just a transition into that eternal life. Um, earlier on this year, um, a guy called Billy Graham passed away and he was a very famous evangelist. Um, and particularly around the time of his death, this quote was shared again and again. And I don't think I've got it on the screen, so I'm just going to read it to you. This is what Billy Graham said. He said, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive now than I ever have been. I will just have changed my address. I will will have gone into the presence of God. As Christians, death isn't the end. It's a transition into eternal life. Therefore, we don't have to fear it. We don't have to be afraid of death. But instead, we can look forward to eternity of life, full, a full life with God. And I think I just want to take the opportunity this morning to say that if you, if you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus, if you're sitting here thinking, I, I don't know if I've got this eternal life. I don't know if I've ever given my life to Jesus and done this whole thing then please, please come and speak to one of us at the end. Uh, We'll be in the welcome area, we'll be at the front. But if if you're not sure whether you've made the decision to follow Jesus, but it's something that you'd like to do, please do come and speak to us. Because in return, you get eternal life. (laughs) But you know, as awesome as eternal life is, as magnificent as it is, and as wonderful as it is, actually... We don't have to wait until our final breath to experience the fullness and the freedom that God has for us. We can experience that right here, right now, today. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This tells me that there is a race marked out for me. There is a race marked out for you. It's not a case of we get saved and we go straight to heaven and we have that eternal life straight away. We have a life to live here. We have a purpose to live here and we have a race marked out for us. However, if we look a bit earlier in that scripture, it says that let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Sin has the habit of entangling us. It has the habit, and I love that word. I love that that's how the, um, it's phrased, entangles. It's like it, it slows you down. It holds you back in the race that God has got for you. It's like it gets in the way of you pursuing God, and we end up just not going anywhere. It's almost like like a game of of stuck in the mud when kind of you've been tagged and everyone else is running around around you, but actually you're just kind of waiting to be freed. You can't can't do anything. That's the kind of the power that sin can have in our lives. 
And as cheesy as it is, we have been freed. (laughs) And it's Jesus who has freed us. We believe that as Jesus went to the cross, he took on our sin and he took on our shame. He took on the things that we have done wrong. He took on the sin that entangles us and he took it to the cross with him. When he died, he took that off us and he took that away from us that we wouldn't have to be held back by it. But actually we could run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So we don't have to be held back by our sin anymore. Instead, we can live in freedom and we can live in life. And Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, I've got this in the message translation, says it really clearly. Christ has set us free to live a free life. We are free from the power of sin. We are free from the power of death. And in exchange, we get life. So we're free from death for life, for life, forever, for life. My second one is that we are free from condemnation for grace. Condemnation. It's a really horrible word, that, isn't it? There's no nice way of saying condemnation. Condemnation. Um, It's a horrible word. Um, And it means judgment, it means punishment, it means blame. Um, And we, you know, I like to think I'm perfect, but honestly, I'm not perfect. None of us are. We all make mistakes. We all mess up daily. But the culture that we live in and the time that we live in says that when someone messes up or when there's a mistake that's made, that there is a claim to be made, that where there's blame there's a claim. We hear it on the radio, we see it on TV, you know, we see it online everywhere. There, where there's a blame, there's a claim. I don't know if you've memorized the injury lawyers for you number because we've heard it that many times. It's been shouted at us, where there's blame, there's a claim. And the, the culture that we live in now is that people are getting quite protective of this because where um, someone has done wrong, there's someone opportunistically waiting to, to profit from it. And um, I actually, well, Rob told me about this, but there's a couple of cases where um, people have been opportunistic in their um, ability to make a, a claim from someone else's mistake. So in, uh, in 1994, McDonald's were taken to court um, by an elderly lady who had accidentally dropped a cup of coffee that she'd just bought at McDonald's onto her lap. She suffered third-degree burns, so she did end up in hospital, but she successfully sued McDonald's for $640,000. And because of that, McDonald's now have to put warning hot contents on the top of all their coffee cups. I don't know, wouldn't you have thought that was just kind of, you know obvious <laughs> that there's a hot cup of coffee in there but she managed to get £640,000 out of it and because of that people are making these kind of defensive things so also in America it's illegal to buy kinder eggs or to sell kinder eggs because of the small toys on the inside to me this is really sad because kinder eggs was such a big part of my childhood that suspense of not knowing what toy you were going to get on the inside was almost better than the chocolate itself and kind of eating these little toys and 
well, eating the chocolate, not the little toy. I suppose that's why they're banned, actually. But a life without Kinder Eggs, a childhood without Kinder Eggs, it seems like a sad thing to me. But it's not just in America. In 2015, uh, the University of Birmingham actually banned their classics graduates from throwing their mortarboards up in the air. So you know the flat cap things that you get when you graduate? They banned them from throwing them in the air for fear that someone would get hurt. By the way, if you're a student wondering where to come for university, Keel and staffs still let you throw your mortarboards in the air, so you'll still get that picture at the end. Come and join us. Um, but my, my best one, or my, my favourite case that I found, um, was that a woman successfully sued Carlisle Castle after falling into the moat. So far, that sounds quite reasonable. She fell into the moat. Of course, it's, it's their fault. However, a woman successfully sued Carlisle Castle after falling into the moat whilst trespassing at 2 a.m., she sustained pelvic injuries and received £15,000 compensation from English Heritage, as well as the cover of the cost for her legal fees. Does no one else think that that's just a bit ridiculous? <laughs> but this is the culture that we live in. We think that where something goes wrong, there is punishment to be had. Someone needs to pay the price for the mistakes that go on and we can so easily transfer that to ourselves we think where we mess up where we make mistakes I need to be punished for that or I need to um, repay what I've done wrong and we can almost go through this process of condemnation ourselves so condemnation means means sentencing for punishment and that's what we can do we can think we need to punish ourselves for the things that we get wrong Sometimes we get things wrong publicly, but more often we get things wrong privately and we mess up privately and we can be the ones who blame ourselves, who judge ourselves and who criticize ourselves. And we can also think that that's what God does to us as well, that God condemns us, that God judges us, that God criticizes us for the things that we do wrong. But actually, the Bible tells us a completely different story. In Romans 8, Verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. There is no blame. There is no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Instead of getting punishment, we get grace. We get freedom. We sang about grace earlier on this morning. You know, condemnation is being punished. Condemnation is getting the bad thing that we deserve. Grace is getting the good thing that we do not deserve. But God gives it to us anyway. Grace is getting the gift of freedom, even though maybe we deserve to be punished. Grace is getting something good that we don't deserve. But that's how God shows his love to us, by giving us good things that we don't deserve. You know, all of us, no matter what our past, no matter what our history, no matter what our story, have access to this grace and freedom that God has for us. 
in Acts chapter 13, verse 39, it says through, oh, have you got it on the screen? Oh yeah. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Through him, every believer is set free from every sin. So that means even you, even you are set free from even that sin, even that sin that only you know about, even that sin that you've never told anyone else about, or that sin that you've struggled with on your own, completely on your own. God sets even you free from even that sin. So no matter what sin you face, no matter what you're battling with, you are free now from condemnation, and in return, you get grace. The last thing, this exchange that we get, is that we are free from ourself for service. Free from self for service. Sometimes we need to be free from ourselves. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I can be my own worst enemy. I think we all can. We can criticize ourselves more than anyone else. We can critique ourselves more than anyone else. We can judge ourselves. Sometimes we can be really harsh. It can seem sometimes that it's so easy to, to lead a good life. Um, to do what God wants us to do. Sometimes we can come to church on a Sunday morning, we can sing the songs, we can hear the message, and we think, yeah, that's, you know, I'm going to go home, I'm going to make changes, I'm going to be a better person, I'm going to follow God, it's all going to be nice and easy. But then when it comes to a Monday morning, or a Tuesday morning, or a Wednesday morning, we find ourselves back in the same patterns. We find ourselves back struggling with the same things, with the same issues, and we can feel like it's a cycle going around and around and around. We can struggle with the same sins again and again and again. Maybe for you it might be jealousy. It might be anger. It could be lying. It could be lust. It could be laziness. But we all have our things that we struggle with again and again and again. And we can think, what is going on? Why can't I just get it right? Why can't I just get my head in the game? Why can't I just pull myself together? Why can't I just make the changes that I need to make in order for my life to be better? Does anyone else have days like that? Yeah, okay. I'm glad it's not just me. But I know it's not just me, because actually there's a guy in the Bible who struggled with it as well. Uh, His name was Paul. Paul, you know, he was the guy that wrote the majority of the New Testament. He was a founder of the faith. He was someone who shared again and again what it meant to be free in Christ. But he had days where he struggled too. In Romans 7 verse 15 to 23, and I've got this out of the message version. He has a little rant to himself, and I'm going to read this all of it because it's something that I really relate to. I have days that are completely like this, and I don't think I'm the only one who does, so I'm going to read it all out. So Paul says, what I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. 
So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For I know the law, but I still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. Anyone ever think that they obviously need help? I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in with that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. You know, Paul felt like that. If he felt like that, I think it's okay for us to feel like that. We all have those days where no matter what our intentions are, no matter what our best intentions are, we still fail. We still find ourselves going back to the same things again and again. But what I think I've realized and what I think I can note from from this scripture is that actually when we're in that thought process, when we're having thoughts like this, it's really self-centered, isn't it? We look through, it says, I decide to do good. I truly delight in God's commands. Part of me covertly rebel. I decide not to do bad. It's I, 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 me, me, me. Maybe that's the problem. I think sometimes we can get so uh, focused on ourselves, we can become so self-centered that we look to ourselves to have all the answers. We look to ourselves to be able to give us the step-by-step approach to becoming a better person. We look to ourselves to be the source of change when really we're not able to do that. The only one who is able to give us change in our life, the only one who is able to change us is the one who is perfect, who is Jesus we can't change or well we can change our behaviors but it's only really Jesus who can change our hearts having freedom requires us to be self aware you know we need to know where we have sin in our lives we need to know the areas that we're struggling with we need to you know not ignore those things we need to be aware of where we need help But having freedom does not require us to be self-reliant. We don't have to look to ourselves for those answers. We don't have to look to ourselves for the ability to change. We should be looking to Jesus. So freedom requires us to be self-aware, but not self-reliant. And you'll tend to notice that when we stop looking inwards, actually we start noticing other things. We start noticing the people around us. We start noticing the potential for freedom in other people's lives as well. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 16 to 17, it says, As God's loving servants, you should live in complete freedom. But never use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Recognize the value of every person and continually show love to every believer. 
continually show love to every believer. This tells me that when we experience true freedom, when we live in freedom, that's when we can start recognizing the value of other people as well. Freedom is recognizable in our lives when we start to recognize the value of other people and start to love and invest in other people, not just ourselves. So I'm going to bring things to a bit of a close now. Um, And I'm going to ask the the band to come and join us on stage, if that's all right. That would be great. Um, I've just got a couple of scriptures to share with you to finish. And then we're going to sing. And singing is going to be our response this morning. In, um, In John chapter 8... Verse 31 to 32, it says, To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. You know, so often we can try and hide our sins we can try and cover it or disguise it or ignore it pretend like it doesn't exist and then maybe we'll be free from it if we just forget about it we'll be free from it but that's not how it works the only way that we can have freedom from our sins is if we bring it out into the light and if we bring it out into the truth because the truth will set us free A bit later in John 14, Jesus tells us something else about himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then later on, he says, I am the truth. (laughs) Therefore, Jesus is the one who sets us free. But we have a responsibility and we have a role to play in that we need to bring our sin to Jesus. Of course, he sees it and he knows it and he knows what's going on in our lives. Of course, he does. But he doesn't impose himself on him. We have to bring our sin to him. And when we look at our sin in the light of Jesus, when we look at our sin through the lens of what he did on the cross, when we see our sin the way Jesus sees it, actually we realize that it is completely powerless and it is completely defeated and it does not have to hold us back anymore. Would it be okay if we could all just stand? Like I said, we're going we're gonna to sing in a second. And in response, we're going to sing the song, we're going to sing The Way, which says that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. We're going to sing about Jesus being the truth who sets us free. So I thought it would be good for us just to take a moment before we sing this. As I've preached on freedom and as we've had um, the theme of freedom this morning, I thought it'd just be good for us to take a moment, maybe to close our eyes and just to think about some of these things that we've been struggling with. Maybe for some of us, we have those cycles 
that we find ourselves in again and again. We have that thing that we just seem to struggle with and no matter what, how hard we try or what we do, we just can't break free from it ourselves. So this morning, as we sing about Jesus being the truth, being the one who sets us free, let's, let's just give that thing, whatever it is this morning, to God. And let's say, actually, I'm not going to look for the answers in myself anymore. I've tried that. I've tried that again and again and again, and I'm not getting anywhere. So actually, this morning, God, I'm going to give you this struggle. I'm going to give you this battle.